Like I said, we are starting a new Bible study today. We are going to study through the book of Colossians. Now, what's interesting is back in the original context, these are all letters. We call them books, but they're actually letters. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae as he was ministering to them at a distance. And so we're going to do a book study, as we call it. We're going to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. But today I wanted to lay a foundation. Now, what happens to a house that has a poor foundation? It crumbles. It doesn't take too long. My bride and I are binge-watching a little show. It's called The Ugliest Houses in America. Have you ever seen it? You have, right? Um, let me just say this. There's some ugly houses. And you, you, know, you watch this show, and you know, one is you want to see the mystery of what ugly houses look like. Two, you want to feel better about your house. Right? You're like, well, you know, man, I don't like that color on my wall, but at least I have a wall. You know, that's kind of things. But it's amazing. These houses are built, and, and some of them, they're just um, decorative choices. But some of them are architectural choices. There's one house that the floor isn't really a floor. They just kind of laid stuff over the dirt and called it a floor. But it's important that you lay a foundation so that you can build on a firm foundation. And that's what today is. We're going to lay a foundation for our study of the book of Colossians. So we're going to look at the author. We're going to look at the author's intent. We're going to look at the audience. And we're going to talk a little bit to better understand why would Paul write this letter uh, and, and what are we hoping to glean out of it? You know, every great journey needs to have a purpose, right? You, you want to get something out of it. Well, we're going to kind of get a glimpse of what we will be redeeming out of this study. So it was written by the Apostle Paul uh, around 61 AD, about 30 years after the time of Christ. And he wrote it during his first imprisonment in Rome. Now, one of the things that's always amazed me about Paul, among the many things, <clears throat> is if I were ever imprisoned, I don't think I'm going to be writing a lot of letters. I'm going to be complaining about the food. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to be trying to control the yard. I'm going to run for class president and the gin pop, you know, all that kind of stuff. But one of the most amazing things <laughs> about Paul is even in his time of incarceration, which was illegitimate, God was still working in Paul, and Paul was still working for the Lord. And that's what this is. This is an ongoing ministry of the Apostle Paul, even in the dark, uncertain days of his first incarceration. Now, history tells us he'll be incarcerated twice uh, until he gives his life uh, as a martyr. And one of the interesting things about the, the church at Colossae is this, is history doesn't tell us that Paul actually ever visited the church at Colossae in person. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? We, we know that Paul was very, a very productive minister. He was a great missionary. Uh, he was a great soul winner. But sometimes, do you ever think about, you know, am I really making a difference Am I making a difference in someone's life, and what difference will that make? Well, this is a tremendous example of what fingerprints matter in the work of the Lord. Paul is ministering, and we're going to see who he ministers to and with, and how that bears fruit down line. If you're in a, uh, 
if you're in an organization, you have downline, those things that come behind you. Today, I am proud to bear the fingerprints of Dewey Davidson, the man who led me to Christ, of Ken Johannan, the man who showed me what it meant to study the Word and to work in the Word and for the Word, uh, Kelly Carr, who showed me what it meant to be a pastor, uh, Dwight Hunt, who showed me what it meant not to be codependent. Uh, and, and all of those men, their fingerprints are in my life. And now a part of their fingerprint is what? In your life. Why? Because you sit under the, my ministry and I'm sharing with you in part because they shared with me. And so here we see Paul writing a church, a gathering of people that he will have never met in person, but his fingerprint is on the church at Colossae because of the men that he, he ministered to. So I want you to do something right now. I want you to think in your mind's eye. Let's fire up that computer. For that little screen comes up. I want you to think of one person whose life is affected because of your faith fingerprint. Can you see him? When you see them on your, on your monitor screen, raise your hand. Get, put it up high. I'm not going to ask you for money. Come on. <laughs> Who's one person? Uh, just one person. When you see them, lift your hand. Okay. I say that to say this. When you're faithful to the Lord, don't ever allow yourself to think you're not making a difference. Because if you're faithful to the Lord, you're glorifying Him. If you're faithful to the Lord, you're growing you. And if you're faithful to the Lord, you're putting fingerprints in places and on people that you may never know the outcome. It's a blessing when you get to see how the Lord uses you through times and circumstances and years. And here we see Paul writing to the church at Colossae, ministering to them and encouraging them and discipling them, a group of people that he will never meet in person. Until heaven, amen? amen. Now there's going to be some glad reunions in heaven. You know, <clears throat> um, is, have you, you ever wondered when you get to heaven and you get to meet some people, if they're going to look like what you think they look like? I, did, I want to tell you this, so if you get to heaven, so you won't be disappointed, Jesus is not 6'2 with blonde hair and blue eyes. What? <laughs> yeah, if you get to looking for that Jesus, you're not going to find him. But it's, it's a funny thing. I, I imagine in my mind's eye that, you know, the believers in Colossae uh, get to meet Paul in heaven and they go, oh, well, that's what you look like. Because today, if we wonder what someone looks like, well, we just go social media just, and we find them. We're like, oh, well, okay. The letter would be delivered to the church by a fellow believer by the name of Tychicus. Now, Tychicus was a minister, uh, a friend and a minister partner with Paul. During Paul's third missionary journey, he's mentioned as one of Paul's companions on the way from the church at Corinth to Jerusalem to, de to deliver a gift to the church. So even back in the time of Paul, churches would give in support of other churches. The church in Jerusalem uh, was, was struggled. It was at the heart of uh, Judaism, and, and they had collected a, a love offering, and they were carrying it to the church in Jerusalem together. So they had ministered together, and so this is a natural, a natural partnership. 
Encouragement is also mentioned as a part of Tychicus's ministry in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, where it says this. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about us and that you may and that he may encourage your hearts. Are you an encourager? Are you a discourager? Don't be that. Now, if someone writes something about you, wouldn't you want someone to write this? Listen, I'm sending him to you. Why? So that he can encourage you. That you can know about our ministry and that he can encourage you. I want to be an encourager. I hope that when I walk into a room and I walk out of the room, the encouragement level is raised just a little bit. Now, sometimes that's hard because not every conversation is a comfortable conversation. Not every conversation is a wanted conversation. But you can say hard things in love and still raise what? Raise the encouragement. And church, our world needs encouraging today, doesn't it? Everywhere you look, man, people are just beat down and beat around and all those kind of things. Now, I'm not talking about being unhonest. I'm not talking about being fake for God. You know those people. They, they want you to think that the, the sun never sets and the rain never falls. We're not talking about that. Listen, as believers, we need to be encouragers, and we can be encouragers exactly where we are. When the rain falls, we can encourage. When the sun shines, we can encourage. When things don't go our way, we can encourage. Some of the most incredible people in my life were encouragers in some of the most difficult moments of their lives. They showed me what it meant to have the joy of the Lord. And so here we see this brother who was sent to the church to be an encourager to them. And I want you to know as you get sent out here in just a few moments, I want you to be an encourager. To be an encourager at lunch if you go to lunch or to be an encourager at the Cowboys watching game this afternoon. Or to be an encourager in the morning when you go to work. Listen, take donuts to work. Be that guy. Take coffee to work. Be that gal. You can be late as long as you bring food. Amen? Amen. I'm not the guy who's late. I'm the guy who brought breakfast. Yeah, but you better start really early if you're going to bring Whataburger. At least, listen, yeah, I'm going to say it. The Greenville Whataburger. It's true. I've been to a couple other Whataburgers, and bing, bang, boom, you're out. I go to the Greenville one, and it's bing, wait, 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 wait. We're testing that encouraging spirit. Paul wrote Colossians to warn them about doctrinal error and to spur them to continue growth in Christ. I had a conversation, I've had a lot of conversations. I remember once having a conversation, and this individual looked at me, and just as sincere as they could, they said, well, why does doctrine matter? And I want you to know, my encouraging spirit got really tested at that moment. Because as believers, doctrine matter. Doctrine is the determining factor of what we believe. And what we believe matters. And Paul was writing to the church at Colossae because given their position geographically, 
given uh, the, the vocation and the industry in their area. There's a lot of people coming in and out and around and through. And a lot of things come with a lot of people, don't they? Now, I love America, and I am so thankful that we live in America, and I hope you're thankful. One of the things I'm thankful for is religious freedom, that we can come together and we can worship as we see fit in freedom and in safety. Now, that extends to everyone who worships, right? Whatever their belief system is. Now, we may not agree with what they believe, but they have the right in America to worship in the same freedom, and in the same liberty that you and I claim. Now the challenge that we face is this. Is what the world believes and what the Bible teaches don't always sync up. And we have to be ever on guard that we're not allowing untruths or, or poor doctrine to seep into our DNA. Because I'll tell you more about that in a moment. Paul addresses the same basic question for us today. The total and complete sufficiency of Christ in our lives. Is Christ sufficient for our salvation? The answer, doctrinally, is yes. The answer in the hearts and the minds of many is maybe. And the hearts of a few is, I don't think so. My friends, we do works, why? To evidence our faith and our appreciation for what Jesus has done for us. But there are those that do works because they believe they have to do their part to earn their way into heaven. My friend, not one thing ever have you done that would earn you one moment's credit into heaven. Amen. Not one thing. The scripture says that our righteousness, our best day... Have you ever thought about your best day? Think about it. Your best day physically. Now, some of us are past it. Some of us might be headed towards it. And some of you might be right at it. But the thing about it is, is you don't know until what? It's gone. I'm 58 and I look back and I go, oh, yeah, gone. Sometimes we don't know. But the Bible says that our best day our best of our best is as filthy rags before the Lord. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't strive. It doesn't mean we should. I mean, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is this, is that Christ alone is the sufficiency for heaven. Christ alone. Now, that's hard because I can't speak for all men. I can only speak for this man. I like to do my part. Man, I owe Jesus everything. And I want to do my part, but my part is because I love him and he loves me. It's not to earn my part in his place. And so Paul addresses the basic question, is Christ truly sufficient? And the answer is yes. Who is he, who is he sufficient for? Everyone. Everyone. Every man, woman, boy, and girl who draws a breath on this round marble, Christ is sufficient for them. Amen. Whether his name is Hitler or Billy Graham, it matters not. God's grace is sufficient for them. Whether it's your boss, I didn't see anyone fall over. <laughs> or whether it's you, guess what? You might be someone's boss. You might be that guy. Isn't that right, Jared? Somewhere, somebody's in church today and their pastor's preaching and they go, yeah, that's Jared. 
Yeah. But he is sufficient for our salvation, and my brothers and sisters, he is sufficient for our sanctification. What does that mean? That is the big word that says this, that transforms you into what God would have you to be. Sanctification is the process by which we are transformed. So when we receive Christ as our Savior, we are sanctified, which means what? We're fit for heaven, like that thief on the cross today. But we're also being fit. Why? Because you hopefully aren't the same person you were the day you met Jesus. Amen? Amen. But you're not quite the man or the woman you hope one day to be. Amen? I'm better than I used to be, but I'm not quite what I could be. Just ask my bride. But Jesus is sufficient for my salvation, and he is sufficient for my sanctification, and I want to continue walking with him and toward him being transformed into the image of him so that when people look into my life, they see a little more of Jesus. Because if there's anything redeeming about me, if there's anything you like about me, if there's any value whatsoever in me to follow, it's Jesus in me. And so Paul writes to the church of Colossae, the first half of the book is a theological commentary that includes one of the most profound studies of Christ. You should, by the time we finish this journey, know more about Jesus, more in depth of Jesus, more value of Jesus. You will see him and understand him as a person, what he did in his nature. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. And the challenge you and I face is this, is the world wants to see God. More often than not, they have to look at us. Now, I take that as a challenge, and I'm humbled to be a part. Listen, when you look at me, you don't think Jenny Craig. When you look at me, you don't think athlete. When you listen to me, you don't think academic. But it is my deepest prayer that when you look at me, you think, I see some Jesus there. And so the second half is an ethics course. You know, I don't know. Do they still teach ethics in school? Oh, okay. I'll take that as a no. Now, homeschoolers still teach ethics, don't you? Yeah. You remember when we used to teach ethics? You know, the way you, you know, those things. The second portion of uh, Paul's letter to the church is addressing every area of our lives. See, part of the challenge we face as believers is this, is we want to departmentalize our lives if we're not careful. Ronnie, you remember the man you told me about? He says, there's Sunday deacon, and then there's Monday work deacon. And those two guys, I'm assuming, weren't the same. Now, I've got a word for that. It's called hypocrite. And I've got a second word for that. If, I, if that was my guy and I heard about it, he wouldn't have to worry about deacon in one place. Because we're not called, you know, I mean, we can't be perfect, but we're called, what, to strive every day in every way. Listen, man, you should be just as Jesus-driven on Sunday as you are on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah, and even Thursday. I know it gets hard on Thursday, but Friday's coming. But it is, it should be your desire, it's my desire, and it should be our desire that wherever the world sees us, they see Jesus. 
Not perfect as he is, but striving for it. He'll talk about the individual lives. Listen, our professional lives begin in our individual lives. When I spoke to the Greenville High School football team Friday morning, I felt really old. I did, you know, because I showed him a picture of my dad who played Greenville High School football in 1953. Yeah, yeah, fourth generation. Anywho, but I told him, I said, right across that parking lot, I left a terrible legacy. I was the second graduating class out of the high school. I used to call it the new high school, but it's long been not new. I said, right across that parking lot, I left a four-year legacy that I'm not proud of. I said, but in 1987, I met a man, and that man changed everything. And we were talking about legacy. Listen, the life that you want begins with the life that you leave, you lead. Integrity is what you are when you're alone. Reputation is what people think that you are. And ladies and gentlemen, our world's full of people with reputations that don't match their integrity. It talks about our homes and our families. Listen, the church is built, what, of homes. I look around and I see, I don't know how many homes represented here. We come together in our brokenness and our striving and all of our things and we come together and we, we want this to be as good as we can make it. And then our professional lives, everything out there and out there. Man, I told you last week, everybody likes how I say the world's crazy. It is. But how we live affects how we live and then it affects how we live and then it affects how we live. Paul talks about that, that incremental widening circle of influence in our lives. As with all the early churches, the issue with the Jewish legalism in Colossae was a great concern. There were people, Jews, who wanted to trust Jesus, but Jesus wasn't enough. What? He was insufficient. You had to obey the law. You had to be circumcised. Listen, if you had not been circumcised and you were a grown man, that is a problem. (laughs) If that's what it's going to mean. Listen, if someone walked up to me and said, Jimmy, the only way you can be saved and follow Jesus is to birth a child, I think I'm just going to be lost. I, I mean, listen, I, I haven't birthed one. I bet I've been around. <laughs> listen, and I'm just going to tell you this. I'm too cowardice. I don't even want a kidney stone. Right, Jeffrey? <laughs> the, rad, the concept was so radical of salvation by grace through faith, they just couldn't get it. And our world is that same way today. How could God love me? I know me. How many conversations have you had when they said, you know, I'd really like to be a Christian, but I just don't think I can fulfill the contract. And I tell them, I said, well, let me ask you this question. I said, do you ever go to the doctor? They say, yeah, I go to the doctor. Why do you go to the doctor? I'm sick. Okay, so do you get well before you go to the doctor? They go, no, that'd be silly. You don't have to worry about cleaning up before you come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and y'all will work that out. Everyone's so worried about fulfilling the contract. Listen, none of us are righteous. None of us bat a thousand. That's just the old-fashioned excuse that we use. The theme of this book, let me make sure I'm in the right place. Yes, we are. Awesome. The theme of this book is the lordship of Jesus and his sufficiency in meeting our needs in every area. Have you ever found yourself going, I don't think I want to bother God with this. I'll take care of it. 
<laughs> That's just pride. I like, to, I, like, I like to think that I'm doing God a solid. Um, but the truth is, <clears throat> is God never asked me for a solid? Jesus is sufficient for every part of your life. <clears throat> it's hard for us to understand that. It's hard for us to accept that. And sometimes it's hard for us to receive it because his sufficiency and our wants aren't always the same thing. Colossians was written to defeat heresy. The, the addition of poor doctrine. I love what R.C. Sproul says this. The little expression, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, is a monstrous lie. My friend, that, I can't, there's just no way for that to be more true. So I, I, I was really excited about this, so I'm excited. So I, I brought you guys three glasses of water. Glass A, I took out of the long branch back there. <clears throat> Glass B, I just took out of the ditch out front. But glass C, I took out a purified jug back there in the kitchen. You say, well, what, what do you mean, Jimmy? Okay, well, let me tell you what I'm meaning. When we're talking about the purity of doctrine and the importance of doctrinal truthfulness is this. <clears throat> if I take a drop out of glass C and I put that drop in glass A, what difference is it going to make? If I take a drop out of glass B and put it in glass A, what's it going to matter? Well, if I take a, a drop out of glass A and I put it in glass B, what difference is it going to matter? If I take one drop out of either A or B and put it in C, you know what happens? Is C is no longer pure. It just takes one drop from the other two glasses to change what the third glass is. Just one drop. You say, Jimmy, that's kind of ridiculous. One drop in a whole glass. Listen, you don't know what kind of buggies are floating in A. You don't know what kind of, you know, whatever's floating in B. It just takes one drop to change the consistency and the purity of C. Just one drop. You say, well, it might not matter. Well, it might not. Or you may be riding the porcelain throne all night long. You don't know. And it may bless you where both, both sides of the equator are being productive. You see, the thing about it is, is you don't know until you've ruined it. The consequences aren't always known up front. The first time I stuck a butter knife in a light socket, I did not know what was about to occur. Was that just Monday? Hey, in that human nature, well, it don't happen twice. Lightning never strikes in the same place twice. Well, surely it'll be different someplace else. Sure. Ladies and gentlemen, it is important. What? What we put in is what, what we produce. And if you want something to be pure, what? You've got to guard its purity. Because once it's no longer pure, it's no longer pure. Paul was writing to the church at Colossae and he said, he was reaffirming them what the psalmist says. 
The sum of your words is truth. Whose words? God's word. I said it in Sunday school. I'm going to say it again. We live at a time and a place where people like to throw down, well, let me just tell you my truth. Listen, I'm interested in your truth until it contradicts what God's truth says. And then, not interested. And I said this, and I'll say it again. Quote, God never asked us for what our truth was in reference to his truth. In fact, too many Christians today are trying to change God's truth to fit their truth. And that's just called sin. You see, that's when you're taking water out of glass A or B and putting it in C. You remember what I said? Our righteousness is what? Filthy rags before the Lord. We must be very careful and we must be very mindful that God's word is, God's word is true. When's it true? All the time. How long is it true? Forever and ever. Amen. For whom is it true? Everyone. What if I don't believe it? It doesn't matter. What, I, what if I don't even believe there's a God? That's fine. It doesn't reflect on the truthfulness of his word. We have a world out there that just wants God the way they want him. Well, that's just not the way it works. You can go to Burger King and have it your way, maybe. You can go to a Whataburger and you're not going to get it your way. You're going to get it whichever way they put it in the bag and after 40 minutes, you're going to be glad to get it. And don't even worry about the ketchup. No, my bride will testify to you. <laughs> so let's quickly look at the, the place of Colossae, shall we? The church was pre, uh, presumed established through the preaching of, of Epaphras, a Gentile, one of Paul's friends and co-workers. Again, what? Fingerprints. Fingerprints. Epaphras was uh, apparently imprisoned with Paul. He went to visit Paul and Philemon, uh, the second of the epistles sent to the church there in Colossae, says this, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. Tradition teaches that Epaphras eventually returned to Colossae, where he remained a, a faithful servant till when? Faithful to the end. In this letter, Paul will tell the Colossians how Epaphras cares deeply for their spiritual growth and maturity. Church, we need to care for each other's spiritual growth and maturity. It's important. Listen, I, I want you to have everything your heart desires, but what I want for you more than anything is your spiritual development. Because that will see you through this life and prepare you for the life to come. The city of Colossae was important because it was an economic hub. So the challenge that we face here is this, is people are coming into the city, so it gives you the opportunity to share the gospel. But as they're coming into the city, they're coming in with their precepts, ideas, and beliefs. It can be a challenge. It's just like our world today. America is a great melting pot, amen? But when you toss stuff into the stew, guess what? It becomes part of the stew. And part of the challenge we have to face is this, is we have to keep, we have to keep some things separated. And it doesn't mean that we don't love people and it doesn't mean that we're judgmental. Listen, I love my friends, the Mormons. I love my friends, the Muslims. I love my friends, the Buddhists. I love them. But I want them to meet Jesus. Not because I'm better than them, but Jesus says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. 
That's what Jesus says. I don't have to hate someone for me to want them to know what Jesus says. And we can even agree, disagree, uh, agree, disagree agreeably. I'm not interested in fist fighting over my faith. Because at the end of it, we're all just going to have bloody noses and we're going to walk away anyway. But I just want to be a faithful, consistent testimony. It was in modern day Turkey. You see there's Colossae. I highlighted it. And just as a reminder, anytime you look at the Middle East, you always want to orientate with where? Jerusalem. So I gave you a little point there where you can see where Jerusalem is. Colossae was ravaged by an earthquake around 60 A.D., And it fell from prominence. This is very similar to what we've seen happen in uh, Europe now with the war. That poor nation will never be the same. Because its people and its resources have been scattered. Even when they win the war, it won't be the same. In this area, because of circumstances, both natural and man-made, begin to decline in population, begin to decline in importance... But the church remained. Scholars throughout history have said that generally agree that um, the city was a part of what it once was, but the church remained united to the purpose. Why? Because as long as there's people, there's purpose. Right? Because the only eternal thing in this world is people. It's not the chairs, it's not the buildings, it's not the stadiums, it's not the gold, silver, or platinum. It's you beautiful people. And it's those beautiful people. You are the eternal commodities. You are what Christ gave his life for. The believers' faith and love were founded upon the hope stored up for them in heaven and the true message of the gospel. Listen, I have a wonderful life. I'm one of the richest men on the face of the planet but one day heaven. And we want to help our world understand that. By grace, we have this same hope today and like the the faithful Colossians so long ago, it should motivate us to love him and to love others more every day. Anybody here ever go to Costco? I don't know why it's called Costco. It should be cost much. Now, I got to do something the other day, and my bride and I went to cost much, and I'm down. Man, I am, I am down. Uh, <clears throat> so this young lady here is named Mary, and, and Mary's giving away samples. Have you ever taken a sample at Costco, and all you want to do is spit it out immediately? <laughs> I have. But you know you don't, because you don't want to hurt that stranger's feelings. Oh, oh, but man, every now and then they hit something that you really like, right? And you're wondering, how many times can I circle around this freezer section? Well, Mary, you know what she's serving up today? Vienna sausages. Listen, don't you, don't you dare say a bad word about Vienna sausage. We're going to fist fight. Huh? I know. It's because I have the mic. Listen, I don't know what's made out of Vienna sausages except God's loving goodness. And you know why they give you that sausage? It's not because they like you. It's because they what? They want you to want more of it. 
which is usually very successful. That's when you're glad you took your kids. Hey, son, go get me one of them. I asked one lady, I asked one lady, hey, can I borrow your daughter for a minute? I need to send her over to Mary and give me a... Well, just like they gave you a sample to entice your palate, I want to give you a few samples quickly as we finish up. Colossians 1.15 says this, He is the image of the invisible God. What does God look like? Look to Jesus. What does God act like? Look to Jesus. What does God want from you? Look to Jesus. What should I strive to be? Look to Jesus. Colossians 2 says this, so see to it that no one takes you captive. My friends, Jesus set you free at the point of your salvation. If you and I find ourselves in bondage, guess what? I did it to myself. It's like walking into the jail going, hey, can you lock me up, please? Could you please restrict me? Could you? Listen. Yeah, the world's knocking at the door. It may be knocking on your cell phone, maybe knocking on your laptop, maybe knocking on your TV. I don't know. world's knocking. And it just wants you to answer. It's kind of like that guy trying to sell you roofing. Or the Jehovah's Witness trying to give you, well, you know, that's a different story. Listen, the world knocks on every one of your doors. The question is, do you answer it? Don't answer it. I'm always amazed that people have front doors they can see through, but they still answer it. I'm telling you what, if I look, and I, I'm, mm-mm, mm-mm, why? Because you know what, I'm just too nice a guy. I'm going to spend 30 minutes telling this guy no 40 times. When you know what, listen, brother, you're not bringing me nothing from Amazon, keep walking. <laughs> Colossians 4 says this, be wise in the way you act towards others. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. No matter how crazy the world is, beg God to let you speak to them with grace. You want to drive people crazy? Just speak to them in love and compassion. Don't buy into the lie, man. Don't jump into the fray. Okay, you know, I made one comment the other day on Twitter X, and, and one of the guys accused me of being stupid for giving all my money to the mega church I belong to. That's true. And I thought to myself, well, A, I don't know what mega looked like, And B, not only do I give to it, I go to it. But you know what I did when he came back with that? I just just let it go. He don't know me. So today's homework is this. Before now, next Sunday, I want you to read the first chapter of Colossians. So we can come together and begin to reason and, and, and nibble on this book together. Shall we? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day, and Lord, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for the church at Colossae. And Father, we thank you for this wonderful letter that you have provided to us, Lord, that you have sustained for us through all of these years. 
And Father, we pray that you would help us to know you better in our study. Father, we pray that we would be inspired by our study. Father, we pray that, <clears throat> that we would be drawn closer together by our study. Father, we pray that we'd be inspired to be grace and salt to a world through our study. And Father, we pray that you would be glorified through our study. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.